0: I typically uh, like to worry before I go to sleep, and that's why I'm on Twitter. And two nights ago, I was just catching up on the news, trying to hear from Elon, possibly win a Tesla, and I began to read as to the various things that had taken place in science that day and in global Uh, crisis and interaction and in one tweet I noticed that uh, a piece of the sun had broken off I'm not sure where that thing was made but I don't think it's supposed to work like that it spun over the North Pole probably wasn't too too close to us just enough to leave me in disarray for a few moments on top of that we shot down two unidentified flying objects Still not identified. And there were green lasers over the state of Hawaii. And as I read through that, I thought, I'm going to tell Hope about this tomorrow because she typically calms me down. And she said, That's some doomsday stuff right there. Thank you. Thank you. We were in Mark 13 last week and we introduced ourselves to what's called the Olivet Discourse. And we looked as Jesus walked through the notions of the end of the age. And what we came to realize as we looked at that text was this. It's more about our faithfulness than it is anything else. That Jesus has called his people to be faithful. The disciples ask questions about the end. And Jesus tells them things about discipleship. And even today, as we look at this text, which is even full of more language that seems overwhelming, it can cause us to be concerned or worried about the end of the world and what that's going to look like and why it's going to look like that and how that's going to impact me and affect you. And we can miss that God really, really, really has something for His people. And more often than not, we find ourselves in passages like this pulling out red string and, and putting things on boards or, or we begin to think about can I get into the right cereal box and find a decoder ring and we're looking for answers to things so rather than us being people who think about it too much or don't think about it enough let's Goldilocks this thing and think about it just right. Because as we look to this text today in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is going to point some things out to us, but I don't want us to miss those things. The big question when we begin to consider the end of the world is not why is Jesus waiting to come back. It's who should I be while I wait? Who am I supposed to be while I wait? And God wants you to be a person who trusts Him. And as you trust Him, He wants you to trust Him in a way that is assured and in a way that is awake. He wants us to be people who trust Him. Because we do have this promise that runs throughout Scripture that we get to say from time to time in here, from the creeds, and it's this, that Jesus, we as Christian people believe that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. That is something that Orthodox believers are connected by. That Jesus will one day come back to judge the living and the dead. So so let's not build bunkers and buy extra canned goods. Let's be people who see what does this passage have to say to us? What does the Bible actually want me to see? What would God have me to see? Because we can't believe more than what the Bible actually says. That is an unhealthy way to interact with Scripture. Uh, Kierkegaard said this, When you read God's Word, you must constantly say to yourself, It is talking to me. It is talking about me. So let's be people who interact with the Word. That way, Mark 13, picking up in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days! Pray it won't happen in the winter, for those will be days of tribulation. The kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then, if anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah. See, there. Don't believe it. For false prophets and false messiahs will arise, and they will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the heaven, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know the summer is near. In the same way... When you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not certainly will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, and my words will never pass but my words will never pass away. Now concerning the day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the sun but only the father watch be alert for you don't know when the time is coming it's like a man on a journey who left his house gave authority to his servants gave each one his work and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert alert therefore be alert since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning, otherwise when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Uh, as with last week, I'm going to invite you to pray with me as, before we begin to engage with this text and see what it has for us today. Father, I thank you for these people, and I thank you for what they mean to me. I thank you for the way that you have brought us together as a family of faith. God, I thank you that you today have made way for people who are not part of this family to, to worship with us. Lord, so for those in this room who are believers, whether they're a member of our church or not, I pray that, that these words will give us an assurance and an awareness to the needs of our world. God, for those in this room who are not believers, I pray that they will see the great invitation of Jesus to walk with you, to know you, to trust you. Lord, we we thank you for how you love us, for how you care for us. And I pray that as we interact with your word today that you will teach us more and more what it means to be the people that you would have us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Augustine says this, He who loves the coming of the Lord is not he who affirms that it is far off. Nor is it he who says it is near, but rather he who, whether it be far off or near, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. The very first verse that we see in this text that we're looking at today is in verse 14. And when you look at this text, you begin to interact with some words that sound like a wrestling pay-per-view from the 90s. The abomination of desolation. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The phrase, let the reader understand, is beneficial and impactful for us as people who are interacting with the teachings of Scripture here. Because what Jesus is pointing out and what the... The writer of the book of Mark is pointing out to us. What what he's aligning with in regard to Jesus' teaching is something that had happened. There were various things that took place throughout the history of Israel that impacted the way that they interacted with phrases like the abomination of desolation. When you read in Daniel chapter 9, you see that notion is there. The abomination of desolation. That's such a unique phrase, but there are other Bible translations that give us a a different angle of the same exact idea. Uh, the, The day is coming, this is the New Living Translation. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Or in the International Children's Bible, which is one of my favorites to listen to and dwell because it says that it is peppy and energetic. Just what you want for your doomsday reading. It it reads this way. You will see the horrible thing that destroys. You will see this thing standing in the place where it should not be. You who read this should understand what it means. That's what the writer points out. To the people of God who are interacting with the teachings of Jesus, years removed from the earthly life of Jesus. There were some things that took place throughout the history of of Israel that were problematic for them as a nation. One of those was they are a people who continually would tell you how they were free while they were living in captivity. It is a recurring bit as you read through the Old Testament. They are proud, they are puffed up, all the while living in captivity, interacting with Rome as if Rome was not ruling and reigning over them at times. Antiochus Epiphanes he ransacked Jerusalem this is right before the Maccabean Revolt which is between the Old Testament and the New Testament that's a really good place for us to see that and when he did he sacrificed a pig on the altar in Jerusalem to Zeus this was the start of the revolt and when we look at history and we see the phrase abomination of desolation it connects us to that they sacrificed a pig, which was problematic in and of itself for the Jewish people, on the altar of God. And when they did this, they were, they were spitting in the face of Yahweh. For anyone throughout history, to spit in the face of Yahweh is to function in a way that is anti-Christ. It is against Jesus. In 70 A.D., Rome destroyed the temple and they put Roman flags at the center of the temple. Josephus tells us this, that one million Jewish people were executed. The sad part is more Jewish people were killed by their countrymen than by the invading Romans. People starved, people mistreated their own children, they fought each other over scraps of dirt. This is anti-Christ. It is against what Christ would have. It is against Yahweh, against God. So whether we are looking at something that is pagan, the sacrifice of a pig to Zeus, or something that is political, Roman flags in the temple, or something that is personal, when things are placed in the center of where Yahweh is to be worshipped, we should run and we are functioning as anti-Christ. He tells them to run to the mountains. That should strike us funny. Ha ha. Because in times of upheaval, people usually would not run to the mountains. When when we look through history and people were dealing with hardships and struggles, they would not run away from the city. They would run to within the walls of the city. Because inside of the city, you were supposed to find refuge. The things of this world don't protect us. They don't. How often do the things of our world let us down? How often do we find ourselves subconsciously running to the elected official that we believe will bring about what we believed he should, would bring about? And then when this person was in a place of power, they let us down. How many of us have run toward the concept of of family hoping that family would be what family is supposed to be in a world that is undistorted yet we are in a distorted world and that family at times may let us down. How many of you have run to a spouse and been let down by the spouse? These are things that we go through. Things that we struggle with. Run to the mountains, he says. Get away from this as fast as As you possibly can. For the Jewish people who hear Jesus saying this and hear Mark alluding to it, we need to know this was obviously not the end of the world. We're here. But it was the end of their world. They had trusted in the wrong things which led them to treat one another and interact with God in godless ways. It had trickled down from the top of Jewish society to affect every crevice of it. They had not; they were puffed up and claiming to be free while they were living in this obvious captivity. They had not obeyed the call of our God to be the light of the world. They had trusted in the wrong things. The reason that I want... that I would encourage any of us to interact with a text like this with our current life in mind our current situation in mind is this the Bible is speaking to us here and we are looking at a historical situation where people trusted in the wrong things this is why we read in the scriptures that some trust in chariots and others in horses but we are to trust in the Lord our God are we trusting in our God? A man on the housetop must not come down or go to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. I do love, just a complete side note. I love when you read through this portion of the Gospel of Mark that Jesus uses women to illustrate what's taking place he sees you we can read through the scriptures at times and and really just jump from place to place and never see anyone giving any type of thought whatsoever to 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 females and Jesus sees you he sees us and he cares for us Verse 18, pray that it won't happen for those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect. Here we see that he's seeing the people who belong to him in a, a more general sense. He sees those of us who are his in the face of a world that seems to be falling apart. And he has not stopped caring for you. He is for you. And when he is for us, there is no one who can be against us. As difficult as our world may seem to be. As hard as our bosses may make our lives And whenever we read through a text like this, I I know that some of us are very linear and we love to read through pastures and be able to check off boxes and make sure that we can spreadsheet this thing out. It doesn't seem to be the way that Jesus functions in the text. So we are invited to function in the way of Jesus. We look and we see that Jesus is pointing out everything that's taken place in in the history of his people and and drawing out and showing them that there is somewhere to which we are to run when it seems as if life is something that we should run from and we run to him when human beings are working counterpoint to the expectation of God's care and for his creation He's cared for creation. People will be treated as less. And the story that you have of the nation of Israel here is people that were in systems and structures where they would treat others as less. And arrogance and pride, they ruled the day. And I would say this for every believing person in this room who has any type of impact and any type of influence on anyone else. Don't let arrogance and pride run the day for you. Whether you are a teacher or you are a mom or a dad or you you have you're an engineer or if there's someone that works for you, if there's someone who is trust, do not be ran by arrogance and pride because those are countercultural to the things that we see in Jesus. Jesus is better than that. And if anyone tells you I, I, here's the Messiah, see there, don't believe it. We pointed out last week, as we walked through 13, 1 through 13, the desire in the hearts of people to find false messiahs. Jesus is saying to these four men who were sitting down with him, Peter, James, John, Andrew, you're going to hear of false messiahs over and over Don't believe that. And because God used his word to echo beyond that conversation. To reach the writer of the book of Mark. When he puts this down. To eventually reach us. We will want to run to things that are opposed to God. To find safety. To find a Messiah. To find hope. And when we run to those things, we are running in a way that is antithetical to the way of Jesus. For false messiahs and false prophets, they will arise, they will perform signs and wonders to lead people astray. Not just people to lead the elect astray. That's a loaded word if you have any church background. Jesus, as he says this, is talking about those who belong to God and how they may be led in a direction where they would live a life that is counterpoint from what God would have them to do and who God would have them to be. That we would be led astray by false hopes. You must watch. I've told you everything in advance. So even here, we begin to read this passage and we're looking and we're considering what is taking place. How close are we to the end? I don't know. But I think I'm in good company. The angels don't know. Jesus tells us that he doesn't know. We do get to look around and see that the world seems really, really broken. But if I'd lived in a world where people were putting pigs on altars, I would have thought that world was really, really broken. If I lived in a world where Roman flags were being put in places to be worshipped, I would think that that was really, really broken. Our church, one of our church partners is in outside of Seattle, Washington. I still can't pronounce the area that he's in, but that's okay. Jared and I flew to meet with him last year. I flew from North Carolina all of the way to Seattle. It's about a six and a half hour flight. In a chair that's much smaller than I appreciate or prefer. And if you've ever been on a six-hour flight, it's not great, not a good time. They can't give me enough peanuts to be happy there. Hey, you get up, you walk around, you have to come sit back down. But we knew we were getting close because you could unlike where I grew up in the, the east, on the east coast, in that mountain chain. When you get near Seattle, you begin to look out the window and you're seeing mountains and it feels as if you can almost touch them. They're right there. You can see the tips of the mountains. But you really can't reach out and touch them. It's obvious that you're closer, it's obvious. When you look at this text and we're looking at the notion of what it means for us to consider the end and what the end will be, it is obvious that we are closer not because of what's taking place around us, but because we are closer today than we were yesterday. That's how math works. But you see in this passage that Jesus is pointing out to us, no one knows. No one knows. What am I supposed to do in a world where I don't know? What can I trust? What can I believe in? Well, I believe that Jesus came. He came for his people. We, we celebrate that at Christmas, which feels like six months ago and last week, all at the same time. Uh, we trust that we are to speak of his coming as believing people. It's declaring the good news of Jesus. It's preaching and teaching the gospel to all the ends of the, wor- of the world. And we believe that he's coming again. That's the promise that he's made to us. What am I supposed to do in the now? Am I supposed to just say, God's got this. I'm going to sit over here and enjoy my life. Well, yes, you should enjoy your life, but it is not an enjoyment where you step away from being who God would have you to be. When you look at this text in verse 24, it says, In those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, And the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky. And the power in the heavens will be shaken. God's people have become, in this passage, puffed up like Babylon and wicked and scheming like Edom that we see in the Old Testament. Both of these references are references to things that are said in Isaiah. Things that are said in the prophets. And Jesus is using those words to point out what's taking place not in the cosmos... But in the hearts of people who were made in God's image, these are things that are happening for you. And as we look and we acknowledge and we examine how it seems as if our world is horrifically terrible at times, what is that supposed to do in my soul? How am I supposed to think about what's taking place here? For believing people. Maybe there has been a moment for you when you were interacting with the news or you're watching or you hear of something terrible that's happened. Whether it is obviously pagan, polluted, yes, the world is terribly broken. And we've uttered something to this effect. How long, Lord? Does anyone ever feel that? How long, oh Lord? Alluding to what Jesus already pointed out about child about the birth of childhood, how long do we have to wait before there is joy and relief here how long oh lord every tragedy every shooting every famine every time human beings function in a way that is contrary to god's good design how long O oh lord but for us to be people who say things to the effect of come lord jesus without declaring consistently that there is hope in jesus is for us to use the Lord's name in vain. We are mistreating the notion of who our God is and why our God is that, how our God cares and why he would care. We are missing what it means to be the people of God in a world that needs to see the power of God. How long, O Lord? should cause us to be people who declare with word and deed, resource and action, everything that happens. Lord, there is a real hope for this world, but it's not from within it. It's from Jesus who intercepted our world and offers hope where there was none. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. I've seen paintings of this. Jesus looks much more like Bradley Cooper than I uh, imagine. He will send out the angels. He will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. 28. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happen, recognize that we're closer. Recognize that he is near. This is the way it is, Jesus says, that's truly, truly. uh, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, they will never pass away. We get to the text in verse 32. Now, concerning that day, or that hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So every time that a preacher stands up in front of you or, and, and declares that you can know the end is near because they've done some weird concoction of prophecy and Mayan calendars and have this misunderstanding of red moons, would we know that that is untrue? We can't know. And as I mentioned last week, every time someone tries to sell you something so that you can be more assured, you are buying into a false hope. You are contributing to a false hope that is doing a disservice to the name of Jesus to the edges of the earth right now. Angels don't know. Bible writers don't know. Jesus tells us that he doesn't know. There are people who like to fight about that verse that jesus doesn't know something uh, some who lean uh, one direction will say something to the effect of well i mean that just must mean that he's not god and then others will say something to the effect of well, that's a contradiction to him being uh, the son how can he not know that's a contradiction to his all-knowingness let's just let jesus sort out what it means for him to be jesus And we'll worry about what it means for us to be us in light of Jesus. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a, a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Be alert. You don't know when the master of the house is coming. Whether in the evening or midnight or the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you. Sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to you, say to everyone, be alert. Your Bible may read awake. Be awake. Be awake. Be aware. What is the purpose of this awareness? The purpose of the awareness uh, that you see Jesus alluding to in 34 through 37 is not so you can say, I told you so when it happens. If you, you may not get the chance to have that conversation. The purpose of alert and aware is not so much as to what will happen, but who we are representing in the in-between. Because we are between those two things. We talk about the notion of the tribulation and you've heard that phrase. We are in a tribulation from the first coming of Jesus until his second coming. We're between those two times and we are living in the how long, oh Lord, right now. We as believers in Jesus in a world that seemingly does not have any affection or alignment with Jesus are to be alert and aware so that we can speak on behalf of him when we are interacted with So that we can live as if his impact on our life has mattered. So that we can declare all of the good things that we believe have happened to us are a possibility for people who are far from him. Don't sleep. Be awake. Romans 13 talks about awakeness for believers it's this idea of Paul's systematic letter in Romans and then he goes into this poetic place where he says be awake be aware remember who you represent why why in the world should I do that what we claim as Christians is that my life is not my life and your life is not your life contrary to consistent popular belief that I get to do what I want, when I want the way that I want because that's what I want to do that can be said of everyone else who does not have an affection and a relationship with Jesus and that's fine and that leads to separation and that leads to condemnation that is what that is but for a believing people, we are countercultural people who realize that my life is not mine, your life is not yours. I have a life that was paid for. So we're awake as representations and reflections of Jesus. So what's that mean for you and what does that mean for me? That means that for me, I need to be less grouchy sometimes because I can be grouchy. I've got good reasons to be grouchy. For you, it, it means that you look at your own life. You look at what you do, and you see, I, I'm not here for me. You're not a doubt for you. Because your life's not yours. Anything that we do as God's people is to be functioning in a way that says that we believe that Jesus come, that we believe that Jesus is coming again, and that we are in the in-between. Be awake and be aware. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If you're a believer in this room, one, I want you to know that I want you to be encouraged by this truth. God loves you. Not for the same reasons that the world tells you that you should be loved. God doesn't love you because you're the smartest person in the room or the most attractive person in the room. God doesn't love you because you're a good parent. God loves you because he loves you. You were made in his image. And Jesus done a work to buy you back. If you're not a believer, then God invites you to to that truth that he loves you. That he wants to know you. That he wants you to trust him. Each week as a congregation, we take communion together. Where we consistently come back to that truth. That Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood are our only hope that life, my life, and your life comes because of that. It's directed from that. It has expectations because of that. So, when you take communion today, uh, feel free to move in just a moment. Take the cup. If you're unaware, There's a small wafer in the bottom of that cup if you're unfamiliar with the way that we do this. Jared will lead us. If you're not a believer in the room. I'll have an extra cup with me at the back. I'd love to walk through what we believe. Is true about our God. That your only hope is his son Jesus. Who we confidently believe. Came. Who we believe is coming again. And who rules and reigns in the midst of chaos and the in-between. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for letting us interact with your word and the truth that is there. We ask this in Jesus' name.